Hello, welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today, we want to examine Psalm 51. Psalm 51 may be known to you as David's great psalm of confession. There are 13 psalms that tie the psalms with historical circumstances in David's life. Psalm 51 says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So after David has committed adultery with Bathsheba, how does he respond? In 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. In Psalm 51, we see him pouring out his heart and pouring out his grief because of his sin. Let's read the first nine verses. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities." You notice that he describes his transgressions in verse 1, his iniquity in verse 2, his sin in verse 3. All of these words to describe his wrongdoing, iniquity, transgressions, and sins. These are words that will be used throughout the psalm, all of them with slightly different meaning, but all of them having the idea of disobeying God, of crossing a boundary, of missing the mark, all of them having the idea of doing wrong before God. And one of the things that this psalm confronts us with is that our sin is worse than we believed it was. David's sin was worse than he could have conceived. In verse five, verse 3, he says, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. He is constantly aware of the plea, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Luke 18, verse 13, he knows his transgressions. It's like his sin, his transgressions, his iniquities are constantly staring against him. His sin is greater than he even feared that it was. And the worst thing about his sin is that his sin is sin against God. In verse 4, against you and you only I have sinned. 
Now, if indeed this describes David's sin with Bathsheba, we might question that. An innocent man has been killed by his wrongdoing. How can he say that his sin was against God and against God alone? This is not denying that we sin against ourselves, as 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20 tells us. This is not denying that we sin against others, as 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 6 tell us. But this does tell us that the worst thing about sin is that sin is sin against God. The worst thing is that it's a slap in the face of a good God who has blessed us abundantly. Joseph asked, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? Genesis 39 and verse 9. The Bible tells us when we mock and oppress the poor, we mistreat the maker of the poor man. Proverbs 14 verse 31 Proverbs 17 and verse 5, Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David's sin is greater than he could have conceived. And he states this in these verses. He takes full responsibility for his wrong. Now some have stressed verse 5, when the text tells us, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Some have used that as a passage teaching that every child enters the world with sin. Now, there are passages that speak of childhood as an age of innocence. Deuteronomy 1, verse 39, is an example of that. Isaiah 7, and verse 16, is an example of that. But I think in context, what verse 5 is doing is it is using strong hyperbole to stress that I have been a sinner from my earliest days. Psalm 22 verses 9 and 10 uses the same kind of hyperbole to say I have trusted in God all my days. Psalm 22 is also a psalm of David. Are we going to pit those passages against each other? Or are we going to stress the context of each? In Psalm 22, when David is saying he has trusted in God from his youth, he's emphasizing, Lord, I've trusted in you every step of the way. Don't let me down now. Don't let me down now that I'm looking to you. In Psalm 51, as David is confessing his sin and acknowledging his guilt, he emphasizes that he is thoroughly guilty and has been from his earliest points. Both of these statements, 22, 9 and 10, and 51, 5, are hyperboles to emphasize the point that they're making in context. Those wrong things you've done and that I've done, some of them known to no one else except ourselves and God, they are worse than we imagined. But I want to tell you something else. Our hope is that God's mercy and grace is greater than we can ever grasp. 
the Bible tells us that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, God is far greater than we are and God's grace is greater than our sin. Our hope is not that our sin is not that big, but our hope is that God's grace is so enormous that God's grace can consume all of our sins. And one of the things that I didn't do in going through Psalm 51, I didn't just start with verse 1 and pick through each particular word, but I'm doing that for a purpose. We started with the vocabulary of sin in verse 1 and verse 2, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. But I want you to notice that the first words of this are words of mercy and grace. Be gracious to me according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. This is the point I was trying to stress. I'm trying to stress that three of the most important and profound words for God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion from all the Old Testament are used before any of those words for sin are used. Because while sin is horrible and disastrous, it is God's grace in Psalm 51 that takes center stage God is said to be gracious, and this word is used often in the Old Testament. God is said to be gracious. God is a God who forgives us based on his loving kindness, and God, according to the greatness of his compassion, blots out our transgressions. These three words, gracious, loving kindness, and compassion are used in Exodus 34. Among other places in the Old Testament, they're used in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. You remember in that case that Moses was asked, Moses asked God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord's response, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. That was Exodus 34 in verse 6. When Moses asked God, show me your glory, the closest we can come to see the glory of God is in this description that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding, overflowing in loving kindness. But those words compassionate, gracious, and loving kindness are all used in Psalm 51. While our sin is disastrous, God's grace is greater than our sin. And he knows that his hope for mercy from God, his hope for kindness, doesn't come from his goodness, but from God's goodness. It doesn't come from how small his sin is, but how great God's grace is. That's how it comes. Be gracious to me according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
That is his hope. That is your hope. Your hope and not is not that your sins are so small. Your hope is that his grace is so great. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. His sin is great, but God's grace is greater. Notice that in this psalm, the psalm begs for full forgiveness. In verse 7, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop is only mentioned about 10 times in the Old Testament. Over half of those times are in Leviticus 14 and Numbers 19. Leviticus 14 is talking about the cleansing of one who has a skin disease or leprosy. Numbers 19 is talking about one who has come in contact with a dead body and rendered unclean by that. But Leviticus 14, Numbers 19, those passages show us that hyssop was used in purifying the most intense forms of uncleanness. And hyssop, which was used in this fashion, in purifying the most intense forms of uncleanness is mentioned here in Psalm 51 because he knows his uncleanness is profound. It's serious. And he wants to be purified. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Hide your face from my sin. The psalmist viewed it as a great fear to be separated from the presence of God, for God to hide his face. And he begged God not to hide his face in Psalm 13, 1 and 2, in Psalm 27, verse 9, in Psalm 88, in verse 14. He begged God not to hide his face, but here he is begging God, hide your face, not from me, but from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He longs for full forgiveness. How blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm, 40, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. And he begs God for a new beginning. In verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word create is used about 50 times in the Old Testament. 
And it is always used with God as the subject. God is the one acting. Create in me a clean heart. As you would assume, it is used frequently in the book of Genesis. Genesis talks about God's work of creation. And here the psalmist David is begging God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, if you look at verse 11, when the Bible uses the term the Holy Spirit here, is it using the term Holy Spirit in the sense that we know of the Holy Spirit from the New Testament, from John chapter 14 through 16? where Jesus emphasizes that he will go to the Father and he will send another comforter, the Spirit of truth, is the term Holy Spirit used in this way. If you look at verse 11, it seems to me that the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is used interchangeably with God's presence. Again, verse 11, "...do not take me away from your presence." Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Sometimes the Spirit of God is associated with the presence of God. In Psalm 139, verse 7, Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? The presence of God and the Spirit of God are used in parallelism. And I think that's what's happening in Psalm 51, verse 11. Do not cast me away. That word cast is a strong word which was used for God sending the people into captivity. In 2 Kings chapter 17, in verse 20, he is begging God, do not fling me away. Do not throw me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. And he is begging that that not happen with him. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit that I would teach, that I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. It is interesting that in verse 12, the word restore is the same Hebrew word that is translated converted in the New American Standard in verse 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Return to me the joy of salvation. And sinners will be converted to you. They will return to you. So he begs God to restore him that he might restore others. He begs God to return him that he might return others. I fear we thank you for listening carefully to this podcast. We're going to have to have a part two of Psalm 51 to see some more things about this psalm and about how Jesus fulfills it. But we do thank you for listening, and may the Lord continue to bless you.